you, you guys keep me posted if you can hear me, but if it starts cutting out, I don't know, this misbehaved last week, so I'll switch the handheld if I need to. All right, good morning, guys. Got some PowerPoint going on here, so title of the message today is Eager for Reward. And I'm going to start off a couple of opening... Oh, it already sounds like it's trying to cut out. We'll see how this goes. I'm going to start off with a couple of opening verses, but before that, let's go ahead and pray for today. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this word. We pray, Lord, that you have your way with this word. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do today and pray that it's pleasing to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to start off. So most of today, most of this message, the heart of it's going to be in Galatians 6. But to start off, I'm going to... Okay, that's not going to work, is it? Nope. Okay. Okay, let's try this. All right, there we go. That's okay. We have a backup plan. All right, well, I'm going to start off with a couple of verses in Mark chapter 9, verse 41. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, Truly I tell you, Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. And he says something very similar in Matthew 10. He says, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives you even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So in both of these gospel accounts, Jesus, they're actually, if you read them in context, the conversations are a little bit different. In Mark, he's talking about um, the disciples saw someone, hey, we saw someone, uh, casting out demons in your name, but we told them to stop because they're not one of us. And Jesus says, don't stop that person. If they're not against us, they're for us. And he goes on to tell them, uses this phrase uh, you see in Mark 9.41, where even if give you a cup of water because you belong to me, they will certainly not lose their reward. And in Matthew 10, they're having a little bit different conversation. It's right after he's sending them out to go out and minister to groups of two, and he tells them if they receive if they receive you, they receive me, and he goes through that section, and then he ends it with what we have here in Matthew. If you welcome, someone welcomes a prophet because they are a prophet, they'll receive a prophet's reward, same with a righteous man, and ultimately, if they even give you a cup of water because you're my disciple, they will not lose their reward. What I want to talk about today is, is how eager God is to reward. In both of these contexts, and sometimes the Gospels will give you different angles on the same conversation or different parts of it, and I love that. Um, if you see an interview with somebody, it might have been a three-hour interview, and one person shows you one hour of it, and another person shows you another hour of it, and both are accurate. They just gave you different pieces of the same conversation. So whether these were two different conversations or pieces of a bigger one, either way, Jesus emphasizes something as simple 
as giving somebody a cup of water. He notices that and wants to bless that if it's done to honor him. Paul says something in into Philippians. I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to reference it. In Philippians four, he talks about he tells the Philippians he thanks them for how generous, how consistent they had been in giving him gifts, giving him an offering, even when other ones didn't. And he mentions that it counts towards their account, and they share in their blessing because they were faithful. And this is something that runs. I point out this runs a little contrary, I believe, to a lot of our culture. Because when I say you get a reward from God, oh, you did something that God's going to reward. Most of our culture would probably picture, you, know, you kind of get into pop culture, you get into maybe movies or video games or whatever, and if you're doing something that, that the gods were, would reward you for, it'd be some sort of huge quest, be some sort of amazing exploit, be something like you know, climbing a mountain or crossing a sea or defeating an army or be something like that. And you do that for, for a reward from, from God or from the gods. And I think sometimes that mindset creeps into church a little bit. Oh, for me to do something that God would reward, oh, I must, uh, maybe I have to build a, a huge church or I have to be a missionary and go to an unreached tribe in the jungle or I have to do some great thing to get a reward from God, some great exploit. And here we have Jesus saying he takes note. He notices there's a reward tied to something as simple as welcoming somebody because they belong to him or even giving them a cup of water. He takes note of that. He notices that, and there's a reward to that. That's how conscientious he is, how eager he is to reward. And I have a question, though, for that. If we actually believed that, what would church look like? If we realize that every little thing that we do for the Lord, that we just have a heart to honor God, and every little thing we do he notices and takes reward of, wouldn't we have like a waiting list for people wanting to serve in the church? Like, hey, when can you open up a spot for me to serve in the church? I want to I be involved. I want to do things for the Lord. I like how one, um, looking at the commentary in the Fire Bible, and I'll quote it here, it says, Christians will be rewarded for even the smallest kindness shown to another person if it's done with the pure motive to show Christ's love. That was some good commentary. So when we get, we're, we're like, oh, yeah, I'll do, you know, the, the person that's... Uh, the evangelist doing some big crusade or the youth pastor building this huge group or you know, something like that. Yeah, I'm sure God will reward that, but but just you know, maybe cleaning the church or greeting people at the door, maybe running a welcome center just with information. Is, is that important? Yes. All of those things are important. That is exactly... The kind of thing, if he's talking about welcoming somebody or just simply giving them a glass of water, is there anything, any act of service in the church that's too small for God to reward? If he's paying attention even to those little things. Nothing, no service within the church done for God is too small or too insignificant. It all matters to him. 
So it should all matter to us. You don't have to have a position. So, hey, I'll be this great leader, but, oh, what about something as simple as like picking up donuts or helping out in the nursery? I know that's not always simple, but maybe not even being the main nursery person, just assisting them, helping out with some crafts for the kids. All those things that we don't necessarily think of as a position or having a title, but somebody needs to do them. And all of them God notices and rewards if they're done for him. I'm going to move ahead here on my notes. I'm going faster than my notes are. That's okay, though. So that's what, I want, what I'm hoping to communicate this morning, is that we kind of get this perception of, I don't have to do something really big to please God. I can actually, I could actually do things that we might call small, but God doesn't necessarily see them as small. If they're done for him, for him, he notices. He pays attention. How much better is that than other religions and other philosophies where you climb so many stairs on your knees or other cultures? There are various faiths where you torture yourself to try to get a reward from God, and God's just like, the real God is just like, can you just serve, you can serve somebody a glass of water in my name and I'll reward you. Wow, that's that's fantastic. Like, that's a really good deal. And if if we actually if we actually comprehended that, how much joy would we have in doing things around the church? If we actually realized how much that pleases him. Well, I want to get to the heart of the message here though. It's going to be in Galatians 6. And I'll start off by telling you uh, as we're working through, you know, on Monday nights, we've been doing the ministry council, and we're kind of switching gears. We feel like we've really got a, got a good five things that we need to do now, and we're kind of starting to switch into logistics and how to make those happen. Um, there's other things we've been talking about among the elders and things of doing, and there's it's pretty exciting. We, we have an opportunity here to have a lot of a lot of opportunities to do the very kind of thing that I'm talking about where we where we're wanting to have organize um, we want to have door greeters we want to have ushers we want to have a structure to be able to as people come in we have a structured church they can come into and have those have kids and youth and all the things that a church needs to be able to minister to different age groups and as I look at the, as I was preparing this sermon, I'm thinking through our, our vision, our written vision we have for this church. What really, what I particularly like about it is that it's not some audacious plan for some sort of big hype thing. It's a really sound structure for what a biblical church would do. It's actually, it's very practical. It has very much of your connecting with your community and you're ministering salvation, you're teaching the Word, you're working on the gifts of the Spirit, and you're giving people opportunity to serve. That's just a good, sound, biblical church. That's not trying to do something crazy or have some, uh, claiming some huge revival is going to happen if we follow this formula or claiming any of that. It's just, This is a, we want to build a biblically sound church. 
that ministers to age groups and a place where people can get saved, people where people can grow, where people can start to minister. Those things that you would want a church to do. I've been in the churches that were built around a promise of a soon-coming revival. Back in the late 90s, again, kind of mid-2000s, it was in these churches that everything about them was, there's a coming revival, and that's, they weren't focused on building a good, solid church. It was all about revival's coming, revival's coming, revival's coming, and both those churches are gone. They closed down. They didn't last because revival didn't come in a timely manner or what they expected. And they weren't built to be stable churches regardless of what happens. Weren't built to have, hey, this is what a church should do according to the Bible regardless of what's happening. They were predicated and built on it's either revival or, or we're going to fall apart. And you, you know which one happened. <laughs> they, they fell apart. So I want to look at the beginning of Galatians 6 here, and I want to talk about this mindset. Not a, I don't want to get up here and hype and say, hey, we're going to have a bunch of opportunities for you to serve, and I'm going to get you really excited about it, and then you know, if it kind of doesn't go well, you'll, you'll lose heart. I don't want to do that. I've been on the other end of that. What I want to, be, what I want to give you is, hey, here's a biblically sound mindset of what it looks like in being a church family, working together. In Galatians 6, I'm going to start in verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And quite frankly, as I go through these, I feel like there could be a sermon on every single of the, one of these verses. There is so much in this little section here. I'm going to read it again. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I'm going to take a break there. I'm going to read farther here in a little bit. But I want to start breaking down these verses. There's a lot here. Verse 2. We're carrying each other's burdens and we're fulfilling the law. What's it? Fulfilling the law of Christ. What did Christ preach? We love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're carrying each other's burdens, what does that mean in the church? That means that people have some needs. That means some people can't necessarily come and be a part of something if there's not some sort of child care. Or they, or they have teenagers and they need some, they need youth ministry. Or they have a hard time, whatever it is. Sometimes maybe they need some help coming in from their car. Or we have, where we have greeters and we have people doing things that help people be able to come in and be able to be a part of it. That's carrying each other's burdens. That's helping each other out. That's also where we don't have two or three people doing everything and a lot of people doing nothing, that's not, that's not healthy either. If we're carrying each other's burdens, we are working together to have a church where people can come and participate and connect. Verse 3. 
Uh, I think three through five might be one of my new favorite ver- parts of the Bible. This is, uh, oh, I got so excited. We're, we're reading through this and working through this. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. That right there. I, I, I promise I will be as nice as I can with this, but I'm going to be very honest about it too. We, like, like many other churches, have had no shortage of those come and go who say, I am something. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm a prophet. I'm a whatever. I'm a leader. And honestly, they were not. And we and we have done as a church, if from the history of this church all the way back to 2006, previous churches I've been in, this is a common problem. Things I hear other churches. Somebody comes in, says there's something that they're not, and it shows up. They're a leader, but in, they claim, hey, I'm a leader. In reality, and you try to put them in leadership, and they're not even a good helper, if you're honest about it. They claim that they're a preacher, but they won't serve in the church. They won't actually connect or do anything. They claim they're, they, they've got this idea of what they are, but in, the, in reality, they're not. That makes it's difficult within church to have that happening. Because you want, especially as a leader of the church, oh, I'd love seeing people succeed. You want people to be exactly what they, what they want to be what they wish they were, but some people have confused between what they wish they were between what they are. And as, as leadership in the church, we want to help cultivate them, make that transition, that cover that gap. Yeah, you want, you want to be this. I'd love to help you be that way. But if they will not do those next verses, each one should test their own actions or realizing that they're deceived. They won't realize that they need to learn that gap, cover that gap. It's very difficult within the church. They'll start to fight you on, no, no, you don't understand. I am, I am this, and it's, I love you, but no, you're not. <laughs> you are not that. You could be that. I want you to be that, but you're not yet. And that's perfectly okay until they refuse, until they insist on deceiving themselves, and they won't change. Those are worst-case scenarios. I think for a lot of us, there's something less than that. It's, oh, I'm going to, it's oftentimes consistency or what I wish I was. Oh, I, I'm going to take on, and with, and with good intentions, I'm going to take on this load, and then it's kind of like, okay, I, maybe I'm not really cut out to do this load on my own. Nothing wrong with realizing that can actually be very liberating to realize, okay, I'm not, uh, maybe I'm not quite up for this, for this task. Now, that, now I know some things where I need to learn or some things that I can grow in. Or, that can be a very good experience. That can be a good thing. The bad thing is if we just keep on deceiving ourselves and saying, I am this, when we ne- and we never deliver on what we claim we are. Or we won't do the things that will help us get to that point. What can help us with that? You keep right on reading. I love this section. Each one should test their own actions. 
then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. I I love that. So let me just give you an example. I know that I'm not necessarily, I'm not a high energy, constantly on the go person. I am not built that way. I know that. So if I tried to claim that I was, I'm going to get in some trouble. I'm going to take on something I can't handle. I'm going to get stressed out. My wife is emphatically shaking her head yes, because she knows this to be true. So if I was comparing myself to Eddie and all the stuff he does, I would be constantly frustrated with myself. I'm just, I'm just not measuring up. And Eddie's got a different personality, wired differently than I am. And I would be frustrating myself, comparing myself to someone that I'm not. But if I apply this verse here, hey, I'm, I've grown quite a bit. I've taken on more than what I used to be able to take on. I'm doing better at, uh, I'm doing better at serving in the church. I'm growing. Then I can start appreciating the growth that God's brought to me, and I'm not constantly frustrating myself with comparing myself to someone who's wired differently than I am. You see how freeing that can be? When you're just going, hey, I'm, I, can, I can appreciate, I can test my own actions. Maybe I'm not what I hoped I was. That's okay. But I can see that I'm growing, and I can appreciate that, and I can progress in that. And then it finishes off, well, it says in verse 5, for each one should carry their own load. And if you read that along with verse 2, carry each other's burdens, it's a little like a little bit of a head scratcher. Like, wait, what? What did he just say? If we're carrying each other's burdens as a group, then each person is carrying, is doing their part. Let me, let me treat everyone should carry their own load similarly to everyone should be doing their part. Everyone should be con- contributing, helping out. And if we all do that, then we are, we're all together helping to carry each other's burdens. And each of us are doing a little part instead of some people being crushed by too much. Does that make sense? To, when you're, everybody's doing their part as a group, many hands make light work, as they, as they say. And then in verse 6, he says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. We should be we should be taking care and being a blessing to those who instruct. Instruct is not just teach. Teach is great. But an instructor not only teaches, they also correct. And there's an element to that. So we as a church, we need to make sure that we're honoring our leadership ultimately honoring our, our pastor. That we're honoring Pastor Chad, that we're appreciating Eddie, that we are appreciating Keevan, our members of, of our leadership that are that act as instructors, not just teachers, but also instructors. We need to make sure that we are honoring them, that we are sharing as, as it says. But if someone has in their mind that, well, I should be, or I'm, I should be in that position. And there becomes envy, then there won't be honor. There will be criticism and tearing down. There'll be, 
ah, no, um, I, they should be doing a better job instead of appreciating. If we're real with, if we're real with where we are, it's a lot easier to be real with where other people are at too and realizing, wow, that person's doing a lot. I really appreciate them. It makes a difference. But if we've got some, then in our mind, thinking we're somewhere we're not, we're not going to appreciate where other people really are. And then Galatians 6 moves on and has a verse. The next few verses are what I like to call bumper sticker verses, kind of or T-shirt verses, or people don't use bumper stickers anymore. It's more window decals or something like that. But these are verses that you have, everybody quotes, and we hardly ever put them in context. So Galatians 6, so we just covered those verses. Like what, what a bunch of good verses to help us understand how to serve in the church and help one another. And then we get to 7, and it's like, did he change topics, or is this still in line with what we're talking about? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And you, if you're going through this in context, it's like, what just happened here? Did we just change? Did he just take like a, a turn onto another topic or what, what happened? Because I thought we were talking about, we had this nice theme going, talking about bearing each other's burdens and that, and then suddenly we just, we're over here. I, this verse is presented as a general principle, and yes, you can apply it to a lot of things, but in this context, it's really kind of what how we started off talking about today. A, a lot of people will come and invest in something fun outside, like Eddie was talking about yesterday. Big craft show and big Jeep rally, nothing wrong with those, but a bunch of people come out and invest in that because it's fun. But you do something for church, and hardly anybody shows up. You do something for the Lord. So right here after we're talking about serving as a group, and he's telling a church how to serve together, he starts talking about are you investing in your flesh or are you investing in your spirit? Maybe this is a good spot for this verse. Maybe it does make sense in context. And... It would be really easy for me to start talking about, you know, maybe having fun versus investing in the Lord, and that's fine. But as I was working through this, what hit me was similar to what I was talking about before with the smaller churches that I've been a part of that have failed that were so based on revival was what I am going to call, I'm sure I'm not the only person who's ever used this term, but the Christian thrill seeker. The believer, the, the Christian that goes, bounces around church to church saying, I want to be thrilled. I want to see a big revival. I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see huge crowds. None of that is wrong. It's great, actually. But when that's all we're, that's the only reason we're at a church is to be thrilled and then it doesn't happen. What do we do? Gone. Either, again, the title of this message, Eager for Reward, our flesh says, I want my reward now. 
I want to be thrilled right now. I want something really cool to happen. And I'll I'll be involved as long as there's as long as I think there's something really cool right around the corner, something really fun right around the corner. But if it doesn't happen, I'm out of here. I'm gone. And not to put too fine a point on it, but how big of a how big were our groups when we were getting ready to open that Evansville location and the thrill of that? And versus versus now. Yeah, that's the part where I may step step on some toes. I understand that. But sermon's gotta have something in it, or else why are you why are you doing it? There's a lot when there's some big exciting things happening. There's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of yep. A lot of, a lot of people showing up. And then if it's delayed, and I love how our um our missionaries, Micaiah, who by the way, are coming Thanksgiving weekend, that Sunday. Looking forward to that. That was the announcement. Be preaching at both places. I think that's the announcement I was trying to think of for November. The last time they were here, they, were, they uh, Kent did this fantastic sermon on delay is not denial. And God will sometimes delay things if he's not, it doesn't mean he's denying them. He's not saying no, he's just saying wait. I loved it. It was great. It was a great sermon. But that that doesn't play well with the Christian thrill seeker, the one who says, "Hey, those churches that didn't make it, plenty of people came and went, and a lot of hype and a lot of energy and a lot of excitement, and God's going to do this and this and this, and then it didn't happen, and moved on." But I believe what God's wanting is that person who says, well, what I'm doing, even the little things, I'm doing for the Lord. Whether my flesh gets a thrill out of it or not, whether there's something really amazing right around the corner or not, I come and I do what I do for the Lord. Even if that church, those past churches, the people that invested in them, if they were doing it for the Lord, that was well spent. Time, energy, money. They did it unto the Lord and say, oh no, but that church failed. They did it for the Lord. It was well spent. That's They have a reward in heaven. And that's the spirit mindset. What I'm doing, regardless of whether I feel like I get a payoff next month or next year or whatever it is, if, I, if I, my flesh doesn't get the thrill of look at what I did, I know in my spirit, though, I did it unto the Lord, and there's a reward for that in heaven. That is going to produce consistency that the flesh won't have. A little harder to turn the notes with just one hand. That's okay, though. So are we willing to operate in a way that says, okay, I know the Lord appreciates even the little things that I do. And that's going to give me fuel, consistency to keep going. Whereas the flesh going to say, uh, I'm going to chase something that's more exciting or more thrilling right now. And that produces destruction, produces instability, produces loss. And if Ryan, if you and Tracy want to kind of get ready, I've got a kind of long closing section, but I'll give you guys a chance to come up whenever you guys are ready.
Let me finish off this section in Galatians, Galatians 6, 9, and 10. So we just got done saying this section on, okay, we're going to talk about bearing one another's burdens and being real with ourselves about what we are and serving together, and that's great. Then we just talked about the flesh and the spirit, and now we're going to another verse that often ends up on T-shirts and Facebook memes and whatever. Let us not become weary in doing good, What a perfect place for this verse to be. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. The fact that that verse is in the Bible means that if you're doing good, there's going to be a time where you're going to feel like giving up. And that must be a pretty normal thing for the Bible to have it in there. If you're doing the right things, there's going to be a temptation at some point to say, "Uh, I just give up. He says, don't do that. There will be, you will reap a harvest. And I would rather, I'd rather in people's eyes go down doing the right thing than prosper doing the wrong thing. And there there are probably ways that we could draw a huge crowd for church, but if we're not doing it according to the Bible, that's all a waste. If we only save a few souls, now I'm I'm still very optimistic. I still think there's I think there's absolutely a reason that God has us with these two locations and and is preparing this a core group to have a revival. So I'm I'm very comfortable with the idea that we're going to end up packing out these places and seeing a bunch of huge harvest. But even if somehow we didn't. Still very, still the things that we've done unto the Lord, still well spent. Even if we only see a few, every soul matters. Every, every soul is a, is, is a harvest. Every salvation is important. And even if we, by the end of it, when we look back at, when Wellspring is standing, when Wellspring standing before God and rewards being handed out, as long as God says, you were faithful what I told you to do. That's what counts. Well, God, I, our harvest is not as big as this church over here. If you're faithful with what, if we're faithful with what he told us to do, we did the right thing. That's what we're supposed to do. Not whether it thrilled us or not. Did we do what we're supposed to do? Okay. And then that's what we were supposed to do. We did it right. And he'll reward that. And that's what counts. And then verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And this circles back to, as we're implementing our vision, we're going to have, we're going to have uh, positions and opportunities to serve one another, bless one another. We're going to have even more in-reach things. We're going to have positions like... Uh, People, door greeters, and people that are helping in cafes, and people that are doing things to create an environment people can come in, connect, ultimately get saved, or already saved, and ultimately grow. We are going to have opportunities. Therefore, as we have opportunity, well, we're going to have opportunity. We're going to make sure of that. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know, even something as simple as coming out to a game night in reach 
game night, some of the connections we build there, some of the fun we have, I don't know that we realize at times what that can mean. Someone who might, speaking as an introvert, someone who's kind of introverted, comes to one of those and makes a good connection, that's important. That's a good thing. That matters. So I, I, I know this is what you call preaching to the choir to a big extent. I know a lot of you are already involved in those things. Just keep it up. Keep at it. It matters. You're doing, you're doing the right things. Keep going. I want to share a couple of stories, uh, accounts, give us some perspective about not giving up, how we measure. The Bible refers to Noah as a minister of righteousness. And it, it seems to indicate that he was, as he's building this huge ark, which I'm sure gathered attention in the pre-flood world, there, what are you doing building a huge boat? However, the environment was back then. It didn't even rain, and he's ta- he's telling them about rain, and they don't like what. Are you, what are you talking about? There was decades he spent working on that, and how many people did he convert to come with him? None. It's the same group of people that God told him in the first place: you, your wife, your sons, their wives. And he didn't get a single extra person to join him on the boat, but through him. The human race continued, and every person that's gotten saved after that? Think about that for a second. Yeah. The people that have gotten saved because of his faithfulness? How could you even number them? And yet, decades of work, he didn't get a single person. A little bit of perspective on what God calls you to do. Because you could easily look at Noah and go, wow, what a loser. Like, what? What a failure as a minister. He didn't get anybody. And yet, all the future all the future salvations that came through him because of the preservation of the human race. So, a little story to share with you, a little account that meant a lot to me about keep going, about not giving up. The difference between the short term of the flesh and the long term of the spirit. This is not a political message, so as soon as I say the name John McCain, the I know there's a because he's a politician, there's a lot connected with that. That's not what I'm interested in. Prior to a politician, he was in a prisoner of war camp in Vietnam for five years. He was captured in Vietnam, was tortured, a lot of people around him died. Of the whole group that were that were POWs, only him and two other guys survived and were released. Everyone else died. And someone was interviewing him and said, what was different about you and those two other guys? Why did you live when everyone else died? And how many would be interested in the answer to that? Saying, hey, what? I'd like to know. What, what did this guy, what did you and those other two do differently than everyone else? And his answer floored me. He said, all the other guys kept saying, we're going to be out of here by Christmas. We're going to be back home by Easter. We're going to be back by a few months from now, guys. We're going to be home. And that time would come and go, and they were still there. And it was demoralizing. Every Christmas that went by and they weren't home yet was demoralizing. What did he and the other two say? We don't know when we're getting out of here, but we're going to keep going. 
we don't know when this will change, but we're going to it's we're going to endure as long as it takes. We're not going to set a deadline where it has to get where something has to change by this point. We're going to keep on going as long as it takes. And they made it. And the ones that said we're going to be out of here by Christmas and it came and went perished. Didn't make it. And what do I mean by all of that? I've been in the churches that said revival's coming and if revival's not revival's going to be here next year. Revival's going to be here by this time so and so this and that and God's going to do this and this by that by this time point and it didn't happen. And they lost heart and they left and the church is closed and all of that. We don't want to be that. We want to be the people that say, the ones that make it are the ones that say, I'm not setting any deadline. I'm just doing what I know I'm supposed to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I'm supposed to do, and it doesn't matter what, uh, what else happens. That's what I'm called to do is what I'm supposed to do. That's what John McCain and those other guys said. We're going to endure. We're going to do what we, what we know to do to survive for as long as it takes. That's what we're going to do. And they made it when others didn't. I'm going to close and I'm going to close the sermon in prayer. We're also going to take communion, which is a wonderful thing to do each month as we're going to start doing that first Sunday of every month. Let's have a word of prayer though. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, there is such a difference between thrilling our flesh in the short term and the knowledge of the spirit that says what we're doing matters, and you're going to reward it because you care and you notice every little thing we do. Thank you, Lord, for that. I pray that that has an impact on every one of us. I pray that that changes how we approach church and serving you. Give us endurance. Help us to do what you've called us to do. Lord, the greatest thing that can happen is that we stand before you and you say, well done. You did what I told you did what I called you to do. That's all we were ever held accountable for. Pray that that's true of us, Lord. Deal with us, Lord, in areas where we think we're something that we're not. Be be gentle, Lord, in that area, but be firm with us as well. I know I know, Lord, you can speak like that. You can speak with that firm yet gentle voice that says No, you're not this, but let me show you what you are called to be. And through that, Lord, we can can find actual peace and confidence in you. Pray, Lord, that for all of us, that freedom from comparing ourselves to other people, enjoy what you're doing in us, and loving one another, fulfilling your law by carrying each other's burdens. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. To make sure that we have, for time's sake, let's go ahead and share communion together. If anybody doesn't have communion elements, they're right around the corner there.
as Tracy's playing, definitely don't want to rush what the Lord wants to do with this word. So I do ask that you consider it. I pray the Holy Spirit brings us brings it to a reality in us. But let's uh, share in the communion elements. And scripture tells us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, and do this, and, and remember me. So what, we're, what we're doing, we're doing communion, is we're, we're remembering his physical sacrifice, his body, his blood for us that were broken. And that is how we can enjoy this word that's how we can because we belong to him that's how that's what he was talking about that desire to honor him is what he sees and what he blesses and we're doing this to honor him as well so I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna pray and ask you to join with me lord thank you so much for the sacrifice of your body for us you did what we could not do for ourselves we could not redeem ourselves and you gave us this bread to remind us how your body was broken for us to spare us from perishing thank you Lord for that in Jesus name let's take the bread together tells us in the same manner after they had eaten he took the cup and after he blessed it he said this is my blood poured out for you do this in remembrance of me so Lord we thank you for the sacrifice of your blood poured out horrible death on the cross and we can't even we can see the we can study how horrific it was for your body, Lord, but we don't fully know how horrible it was for you to being sinless to take on our sin. It was even more horrible. But you did that because you loved us. We thank you, Lord, for that. We honor you, Lord, the blood that you poured out for us. Let's take the cup together. Scripture tells us, as often as we eat this bread and take the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He returns. We know He's He's going to return. He's going to reward. Salvation is dependent upon what He did for us. The reward, though, uh, is 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 based on what we've done for Him, and He is eager to reward us. Let us be faithful serving one another, doing that for him. I'm going to close again a word of prayer. Uh, several of us do need to, to go ahead and go, but I, I want to just make sure we don't rush too much. Lord, thank you again for your sacrifice. Thank you for how loving you are, how eager you are to reward us. Help us to not be over eager 
for a reward right now in our flesh, but to be patient and realize we have a future reward in heaven that is fantastic. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for that hope because of what you did to save us, Lord. Thank you for this church family. Continue to teach us how to to bear one another's burdens to do our part. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.